and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your agency place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Scott Barry, and today I have with me Brian Perlberg, who is the Senior Counsel for Construction Law and Contracts at AGC. Uh, welcome, Brian. Thanks very much, Scott. Glad to be here. Let's talk a little bit about the history of standard form contracts. It's not necessarily a, a new concept, really. Uh, how long back do you think that the concept that we have for standard form documents really goes? Well, you know, one of the things I like to say about here we are, Associated General Contractors, you can't say general contractor without using the word contract. So contracts has played a big role in our business. Standard contracts have been around for a long time and have, what I like to think of is it's like private legislation. We don't mandate a kind of contract, but we have standard documents that help provide predictability and norms and hopefully best practices for people to use. So they've been around for a long time and they've grown over time. And is it true that these go back, you know, really to the inception of AGC, that you can you can find talk of standardizing contracts, you know, as far back as, as the association even exists, and in some cases, maybe even before? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. In the original bylaws of AGC back in 1918, there was actually a call for the production and creation of standard documents that are fair for owners and general contractors, which is a great little fun fact that not everybody knows. But it goes to the importance, again, of contracts. And standardization is a good thing here. They don't mean that they mandate their exact use on every project, but it provides the flexibility and of a baseline for people to start from. And construction has been it's a success story of using standard documents. While there's a lot of uh, changes within one project to the next, standard documents have played a really fundamental role because, again, a lot of this is in the private sector and it provides the norms for us to know what to do from one project to another. They've developed over time. The first standard documents were very short. Now, AGC has talked about it in their bylaws for over almost 100 years now. Uh, AIA was the first ones to come out with standard documents, and they've been around, and they like to tout that they've been around for over 100 years. And they've developed a lot, and the industry's changed a lot. What I will say is, Probably in the 70s and 80s, you start seeing more of a fragmentation of the industry, hmm. and you have you know design professionals at post-industrial revolution. It became it used to be the master builders, right? And then we had right. the industrial revolution. You had the separation of the trades and design professionals, as opposed to the master builder concept. And so then you have people who are more professional, and then they segment things. And to do that, you need a contract to, to represent that relationship. AGC started their own standard documents program. Uh, the Construction Owners Association started an owner-centric document. There's Design Build Institute of America. There's Engineering Joint Contract Documents Committee. They all have these standard documents. And so instead of less predictability, you started to have more fragmentation. And then each market has their own, what I call, individual market documents. And so that creates less predictability, less standardization. And that, that over time causes more work and confusion, potentially. So it seems like each of the, the document groups are, are sort of written from the explicit perspective of whomever is writing them. You know, like the architects have documents that, are, that favor the architect, and the engineers have an documents that favor the engineer, and so on and so on and so forth. Uh, do you think that the AGC documents before consensus docs were sort of in that realm, or were they any different? So maybe if we flash back to 1970 and 1980, the AGC documents obviously they only had an owner contractor agreement, and they di and they only and they were centric towards the perspective of what a general contractor would want to see in a document. However, the program over time became a lot more 
sophisticated. AGC has a group called the PIAC, which is the Private Public Industry Advisory Council, and that's basically owners within AGC. It's, it's kind of a select group of owners. Mm -hmm. But what happened is the Contract Documents Committee within AGC uh, with the PIAC said, okay, look, this isn't going to work if we have an AGC document and the owners aren't going uh, to accept it. So why don't we work together and come out something where we take our 10 top issues, we're going to have one extreme owner position and one extreme general contractor position, and then we're going to work towards the middle to see if we can get something that we can actually sign on a project. That effort was extensive. It took more than 10 years. And then AGC started publishing documents and giving credit to the PIAC saying that this document was jointly created. The problem with that was perception. No matter what AGC was going to publish, as long as it had the AGC bug on the front project, um, page, it was going to be perceived, again, no matter what was in the document, to favor general contractors. And sure, is there some bias naturally? I know that I, you know, being an AGC employee, that it's sort of like, who do you jump for, as I can say? Mm -hmm. You're going to jump for your members who are the loudest to complain. And AIA and the engineering groups, they all have that sort of problem where even if it's not conscious, it's maybe unconscious that you, you, you jump for your members. That's why a lot of times then you have the modifications of the standard documents double the size of the standard document. Well, to some extent, you also write things from your perspective, right? Like you write what you know. And so, you know, if you're an engineer writing contracts, you're going to write it from the engineer's perspective, whether or not you mean to. Or, Absolutely. Or architects or contracts. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know your blind sides. Exactly. I think that there's an effort to get that feedback from outside groups, but even if you kind of make a process to do that, it's not as, in, it doesn't come home as much unless it really, everyone has an equal seat at the table. So it sounds like, you know, given that standard form documents have a, a, a fairly long and rich history and, and really came about in the modern sense, you know, from the 70s onward, uh, uh, the Consensus Docs Coalition sort of identified a pretty big hole that was in the market given uh, the difference is between the approach of contractors and the approach of owners. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, I think there's a natural tendency, again, AIA had, had taken a, a lead role in some of this, and I think over time the perception is that architects and their insurers were more and more risk adverse, where they had more authority on projects, but less responsibility for projects on the liability side. And the the role of the architect was a little bit more removed from contract administration and some of the liability exposures. Um, so again, the, 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 that was the perception. And in 2004, AGC, through the con leadership of the Contract Documents Committee, extended the invitation to the industry, to AIA, to the engineering groups, to the design-build groups, and, and everyone, and said, hey, why don't, why don't we create a better mousetrap? There's a sort of a Gordian knot uh, conflict here of no matter what you have in the documents, they're going to be perceived to favor your, your segment of the industry. Why don't we try to come together and have something where everybody has an equal seat at the table, we can agree on one contract that represents best practices that instead of each project repetitively trying to have to adopt mounds of modifications and everybody trying to protect their individual bottom line, what gets lost in that is the project's bottom line, which, which is really the big deal. I understand that the Consensus Docs Group is sort of approaching its 10th anniversary now and, and it has expanded the kinds of things that it covers uh, pretty considerably. So what types of projects are typically covered by Consensus Docs documents? 
Sure. So the Consensus Stocks Coalition came to be because, again, that Gordian knot of trying to come up with a better way where everybody could agree. The point being that your project would lead, need less transactional costs to get to a signed contract. Uh, we started in 2004. We got a bunch of people to the table to discuss this great concept. And at the end of the day, we got a lot of people in 2007 to sign up on a published document. Not everybody who was invited to that table made it to the finish line, but it was the first effort in the United States to have a truly diverse coalition. We had 70 contract documents. We address all kinds of project delivery methods, the most typical being design, bid, build, traditional contracting. But we have uh, probably a better market share for design, build. We have CM at risk documents and CM agency documents. And then something that I'm particularly proud of, we were the first in 2007 with our initial publication to publish the first integrated project delivery document that integrates lean construction processes in the standard document. And, and you guys have expanded in the last couple of years to cover um, sort of the non-private uh, traditional like heavy civil type of construction too, right? Right. So we started in 2007 with 70 standard documents and in the past almost 10 years we are up to 100 standard contract documents. We were the first to come up with a building information modeling document or BIM and in 2011 we came up with a um, I believe it was 2011, it might be 2012, that we came out with a public works document that was oriented not just for private work, but for work that had uh, was public work that could be for um, civil infrastructure or what have you. And we've come up with uh, subcontracts that are specific for federal work. We've come up with the first green building addendum that was more comprehensive in nature for green building construction. So we're always trying to be on the forefront of, of contracting uh, trends and add to the portfolio of the offerings that we do have based upon input and need that we perceive in the marketplace and feedback we get. Sure, it, it's about apportionment of risk to the uh, entity most appropriately able to handle it, right? Right, and I think a lot of people agree with that principle is that the person who's the best position to manage and control risk should be allocated that risk. The problem is the devil in the details is sure. when you're actually doing the contract. People are always saying, I want to be protected. I don't want to do what's fair. Well, speaking of devil in details, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, I know the, the most recent uh, version of the documents was just updated in December of 2016. Can you talk a little bit about the kinds of changes in the construction industry that necessitated some of the changes in the documents? Sure. And a, a couple things on that. First off, some people think that a handshake is good enough for a contract, and some of our members do that. I think you're putting yourself at risk, and some of the horror stories I get is from folks who don't have a contract to protect and memorialize their rights, responsibilities, and expectations. And so we think that we need to do that uh, in our coalition effort with consensus docs. We try very hard to keep our documents up to date and make sure that they're the best documents that they can be. We came out in 2007. We established a bylaws or procedures of a five-year revision cycle. We don't think you should wait 10 plus years or, or 20 years as some, some of our, our, our members do, that they don't look at their contracts. Your business processes are changing rapidly today. You should have your contracts, which ultimately govern your performance, those should be updated too. So we updated early 
in 2011, and then just in December of 2016, we had our five-year cycle and comprehensively evaluated our documents. We've also done some off-cycle updates uh, to our documents to make sure that they reflect the latest best practices and legal developments. So the construction industry really is changing more rapidly now than it really ever has in the past. And and I think construction contract documents need to catch up with that in many respects. No question. And clearly, contracts are behind the times that are used in practice, right? We can make the best standard document, but if people don't use it for BIM, which is a great example, people say, yeah, yeah, use BIM. But, but you need to actually have some processes involved in that. Or go make me a green building. Well, that's kind of confusing. You, you can't, that's the end result, but there's more to it that you really are putting yourselves at risk. There hasn't been an explosion of litigation on those matters, but you, you are definitely, um, at the very least, you're not articulating your, your mutual expectations, which is really the foundation of meeting of the minds of a contract. Uh, so yeah, but no, we came up with those updates and we're actually getting ready to release at the AGC convention updates that are consistent to our design, build, and CM at risk documents. So the kinds of things that the, the contracts are responding to, uh, what sorts of changes in the industry brought those about? So there's three main areas that we looked at when we were doing the comprehensive update. And those are legal developments, which is always changing, sure. technological developments, which, as, which is always changing. And I, I think you're right that we're coming up to sort of a future shock where it's kind of a tipping point, right? I mean, certainly I've seen it with BIM specifically, but technology in the construction area, while we maybe traditionally have been a little bit slow to develop technology, it's astounding what is impacting the way that we uh, collaborate and share information and all those other things. The other thing that always changes is insurance products, which is manifested in your contractual obligations. And this time around, that actually drove some of the more significant changes in our 26 update. The last thing that we did, and I have to admit, I always think that oh, we can draft the perfect standard contract to use. Well, the truth of the matter is there's always room for improvement, and I think our competitive advantage is that we are active listeners. So in this round, we made lots of little editorial type of changes to be consistent among our family of documents. So all those things together were were the main drivers for changes in our standard documents. So the kinds of legal changes that were happening, is that, you know, court cases that were coming down, so new case law was being developed, or, or were that, you know, specific challenges to the documents themselves, or how does that come about? Well, a great example would be, uh, believe it or not, dispute resolution and mitigation. And that's one of the things I like about our documents is that we actually emphasize mitigation of claims before they become actual claims. Mm. But we have a mediation section, we have an arbitration or litigation section, and we've actually instituted some things in our documents to help avoid that, like dispute review boards. Now, in 2016, we updated our mediation, we provided some more, uh, there was a court case that that um, disfavored in the arbitration area where the parties basically signed up for arbitration, but the court said, well, you weren't really explicit enough that you were waiving a, a jury trial or a judge to decide when you chose arbitration. So we're going to read your arbitration provision as being null and void. And it was a case out in New Jersey. And, and there's now been another one. So we updated our documents to make it explicitly clear with bold letters and capital letters that when you're selecting arbitration, you're waiving your right to a jury and you're having an arbitrator to decide uh, some of your rights rather than a judge. 
So one of the other of the three that you mentioned also was technology. Can you talk about what maybe some of the technological changes uh, in the construction industry were that prompted some of the changes that you had in the documents? I'll be honest, that one's a little bit harder to quantify. We had some changes in our documents before that encouraged the use of more electronic transmission of information and didn't necessarily assume the use of paper information. Right. We've already made a lot of those changes before, and we have an electronic communications protocol, which is an optional document. But it's a good example of that you should update your documents more regularly because in general, the contracts are based on the premise that nothing matters and it's just for your information unless it's in paper format. And most of the standard documents basically said all those emails that you're saying, sure, go ahead and make that change. You can't rely on that information if you don't do it correctly. And so we've mostly updated our documents, but we made sure in, in very more technical ways, again, that the, the transmission of information was um, more seamless in using technology. So that's interesting. People are, are saying that, you know, things like emails and electronic transmittals don't count as being like in writing. Am I reading that right? Well, tra just traditionally, it's kind of a more strict interpretation of the contract. A lot of judges would probably say, no, look, if it says in the email, this can come in. But in some of these contracts and some of the standard documents would say, hey, if it's not a signed contract in paper writing, then it it's for your information only. And that's been a big deal. And the documents are slowly updating. I think we've been faster in updating our documents in that regard. But then again, sometimes if you have a disclaimer in there that says, hey, this is for information purposes only, or uh, then then it's for informational purposes only. I see. Because I know, you know, at least from my experience in the utility realm, uh, one of the things that has been most interesting has been whether or not you can rely on certain documents as part of the contract documents and whether or not they're for information only things like geotech and soil samples and things like that and i know that that's been a constant problem it, it is and certainly in, in that realm it can really lead to huge differences in, in money and time uh, and for differing site conditions and change orders and you have to be careful I, I, sometimes i feel like you play a shell game where someone's giving you information that puts you on notice that there might be a condition but you can't rely on this but when it does happen they said well you should have known because i gave you those those the geotech studies and, and that's what the problem is with our industry that's one of the reasons why we're not growing in productivity is because instead of working together and aligning our interests for better product results we have this gamemanship and so the premise of consensus docs is coming together with all these different organizations is, hey, actually, you'll be better off in the long run. And you owners, at the end of the day, will come up get better prices from better contractors if you get away from the gamemanship and we have a leveled playing field where we, we have transparency or we know the risks, we try to mitigate those risks collaboratively rather than to screw one person over another. So you mentioned the legal... Uh, advances, technological advances, and insurance advances as being things that are sort of perennial issues that are always changing in the construction industry. Uh, are there other things that are kind of challenges uh, that, you know, standard form documents are always looking at uh, and would have to respond to? 
So in this comprehensive update, we went from these are more of our bread and butter general conditions, which some people will, will think of in terms of other standard documents, the AIA A201 general conditions. That's more of the issues that we updated in this comprehensive update. Right. What we've recently updated in more technical, specific documents, we updated our BIM document in November of 2015. In January 2016, we updated our IPD agreement, our Integrated Project Delivery document. Uh, those are two areas which are, in my perspective, are transforming the industry and have dominated the conversation of how we can improve our industry. Those are big things where um, we made some of those type of changes, but but some of those other more revolutionary changes are probably done in those specific kind of uh, documents and contracts. Well, well, I shouldn't say they're done in those contracts. It's those areas are more revolutionizing our industry, and they're probably better reflected in those specific Documents. So those areas are more the vanguard of the industry, so to speak. Absolutely. So what's next on the horizon then? You know, as the the head kind of contracts and construction law guy around here, what are the things that are sort of keeping you up at night that maybe you hope the next iteration of consensus docs or, or standard form documents in general are, are going to start tackling those kinds of things? What are those issues? Good question. And I'd have two different answers. The thing that <laughs> keeps me up at night is different than what's on the horizon. What keeps me up at night and a concern on the work is we can make the best contracts at the national level with the other associations, but it's just a piece of paper if it doesn't get used. Some of our members are sometimes afraid, I believe, where they don't want to use their political capital on a new project to discuss something as sexy as contracts, right, <laughs> until it bites them in the butt on a project. and we really do have room for improvement of the industry and it's going to take somewhat of a grassroots mobilization effort for people to be willing to have the conversation hey have you considered this sometimes they're asked but a lot of times it takes someone to take the initiative sometimes it's working with the chapters to talk about it with influential owners but again we can have the best platform to do something a better way but if it doesn't get used then it's just a piece of paper Sometimes I am frustrated with the, the pace of change. I've seen growth, certainly, and I see that picking up now with the economy doing better and the construction economy. Sure. It provides an easier conversation to say, hey, why don't, you know, now that I have work in my backlog, rather than beg and sign any piece of document and put in front of me, I'm having trouble to recruit specialty contractors, and they want fairer terms, and they're conditioning their bid based upon a consensus docs 750 subcontract. I need to start using these fairer terms with you, owner, so I can get the best specialty contractors and get your project finished. Now, what's coming up on the horizon, uh, what's new, is in short, what's on my list is two things. One is we are we have a working group for uh, P3s and operations and maintenance documents. It's been a, a little bit of a process because we were waiting for this comprehensive update to finish before moving too far ahead with that project. And now that we've got this done, I'm trying to go full speed ahead in doing an O&M document and then have that as uh, the basis to marry with our design build document and have a, a, a true standard P3 document. What else is coming up, which is a big deal, is I mentioned that we update every five years. Uh, American Institute of Architects, the AIA, they're getting ready to release their new uh, A201 general conditions document with new subcontracts and owner 
contractor agreements. That should be coming out at the end of April with the AIA convention, and hopefully that, that whets everybody's appetite to talk about contract documents. I love talking about them. I have a passion for it. It sounds boring, but it actually is really fun. Uh, but, and so that will hopefully whet people's appetite to take another look at the contracts, be it AIA, consensus docs, or more likely some manuscripted, individually made document. It hopefully opens up people to look at their documents more carefully. So I guess then, if one of the things that's keeping you up at night is is kind of that general penetration of advances in standard form documents down to the contractor and owner levels, um, particularly some of the smaller ones, where I think that uh, if you're a smaller contractor, and in many cases a smaller owner, standard form documents make even more sense. What kinds of strategies are AGC and its chapters undertaking? How do you get the word out, I guess? It's a, it's a good question, and it, and it's hard. There's two things. I mean, to me, I liken it to a grassroots mobilization effort where you have to have the conversation before the project's put out to bid. And so it kind of depends on the relationship you have with your owner. Is it a negotiated job or is it a bid job? Hopefully our the AGC chapters, at least with some of the more influential owners, have conversations with owners regularly and that this is something that could be on their agenda. agenda. Hey, what do you guys do for contracts? Is this something that you try to at least aspire to have fair contracts and put out that information? So certainly in the public works area, I think that that's something I've seen in South Dakota. They've had a lot of conversations. Our biggest success story is, is thanks to the master builders of Iowa where they said, hey, look, you public owner, you guys could be a lot better owner and our members are not really happy with the way you're functioning. Well, lo and behold, the ch there was an administrative change at the state level. They made changes and they went from being a bad owner to a good owner and the case study results are incredible. They used to want Iowa, the uh, Department of Administrative Services, would almost always wind up in a formal claim for every project. It was very paper intensive and it was based upon a modified AIA documents. They made the change to consensus docs more than four years ago. They've put $400 million of construction in place. They haven't had one, not one formal uh, claim to date, and they're able to put more contracts out on the street and more construction in place because they have a better process where they're better owners, and the AGC chapter was very influential in talking with them. And that had a reverberation effect because the Board of Regents in Iowa also adopted consensus stocks. I don't have the numbers on the improvement, but obviously they love the results that the DAS got, and so that that better contract foundation and being a better owner led to better project results. So if I'm an AGC member and I want to try and replicate some of that success, but I don't necessarily want to spend the capital I have with my owner, it seems like an AGC chapter would be the primary place to kind of direct that focus of mine, right? Where's the relationship, right? If you have a good relationship with your owner, then have the conversation. You know, don't have like a V8 moment later, like you slap your head and said, oh, I could have had a, a better contract. Uh, have the conversation earlier rather than later because once you have the contract signed it's it's too late uh, but certainly the the AGC chapter affords especially with public owners a more anonymous and co less confrontational way of bringing up that conversation. But what you see over time, one of the bigger trends of the industry, I mentioned before, we're about re ready to release our design build documents and see them at risk. One of the bigger shifts in the industry is that contractors in are involved earlier in the process with pre-construction services. Design Assist has exploded in the past eight months. It went from a back burner issue to a huge issue. So contractors are now having conversations earlier with the owner and architect or 
engineer on a project. And so part of that conversation is contractual relationships and contract terms. If a contractor is going to be involved earlier, it affords the opportunity to have the conversation of having fair terms, using consensus docs instead of what you've always used, uh, be it an AIA or EJCDC document. That really helps. And that movement for design build, CM at risk, and design assist is probably going to, at the end of the day, have one of the bigger impacts on making change. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. Uh, I want to thank uh, AGC's Brian Perlberg for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. And I want to thank you all for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast.